Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show, our theme, Christianity and its relationship to politics and pop culture. And actually, we have been talking about the relationship between Christianity and Judaism as well. Most people are familiar with the terms Old Testament and New Testament. Not nearly as many people seem to understand what the terms mean. What generally comes to mind are two distinctly different sections of the Bible. Actually, my friends, these literary breakdowns are only named after two testaments. The testaments themselves are something much different. Testament means covenant or agreement. We are talking about the old agreement between God and people, followed by the new agreement between God and people. The old agreement was fixated upon Israel. The new agreement is broader, applying to all who give their lives to Christ. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31, going on a little bit beyond verse 31, says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, because of the new covenant's more universal nature, replacement theologians, and that's what we've been talking about lately, replacement theology, replacement theologians teach that Christians are now the new Israel, and some key texts are often quoted from Paul to show that God's not dealing with the Jews anymore. He's dealing with Christians. Romans chapter 2, Paul says, no man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. And then this same apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 says, it is not as though God's word has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. By the way, I'll be reading a lot of scripture for you today, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Moving on to Galatians chapter 3, also penned by Paul, he says something similar. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. As you can see, ladies and gentlemen, theology is seldom created in a vacuum. Usually there are scriptures to support these ideas, or at least scriptures which seem to offer corroboration at a first glance. Unfortunately, when scripture is taken out of context, it can be made to say anything. As with many popular Christian ideas, replacement theology is partly right and partly wrong. It is true that we are no longer under the law of Moses. It is also true that certain promises given to Israel also apply to the church. But it is not true that God is finished with Israel. Part of the confusion comes from a misunderstanding about God's agreements with Israel. He actually made two covenants, not one. Years before making a covenant with Moses, God had made a covenant with Abraham. The Mosaic covenant was conditional. The Abrahamic covenant was 
unconditional. The Mosaic Covenant is no longer in operation. Replacement theology is correct about that. However, the Abrahamic Covenant is still in operation. While adherents to replacement theology hold various views of God's promise to Abraham, all of them seem to be missing a good deal of its significance. The difference between these covenants is like night and day. The agreement God made with the Jews through Moses depended very much upon obedience to the law. Deuteronomy 11. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. On the other hand, the Abrahamic covenant was set to be fulfilled regardless of Israel's actions. Because of Abraham's faith, his descendants are going to be blessed, period. No matter how often Israel disobeys God, in the end, when Christ returns, Israel will be delivered. Happily, at that time, the entire nation will finally repent. Meanwhile, they are being preserved despite their actions. Their ultimate repentance is a promise and a prediction, not a condition for Abraham's covenant. Abraham's covenant is described in Genesis chapter 22. God says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You see, folks, this time the onus is not upon the obedience of the Jews, but upon the obedience of Abraham. Paul elaborates on this idea by saying to the Gentile Christians regarding the Jews, and now I'm reading from Romans chapter 11, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now, don't get sidetracked by the term enemy. Paul explains in this same chapter with the complete theology of the cross and resurrection, the theme of the entire book of Romans, he explains that Christ's death made possible by the Jewish puppet court under Rome opened up a convenient door for Gentiles inasmuch as Jesus, while dying, paid for their sins. Anyway, the crucial phrase to key in on here would be on account of the patriarchs. The Jews hold a special place in God's heart on account of the patriarchs. Who were the patriarchs? The patriarchs were Abraham, his son Isaac, and Isaac's son Jacob. It is very important to fathom this key distinction of the Abrahamic covenant. Unlike the Mosaic covenant, the Jews will be ultimately delivered no matter what they do. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. This deliverance is referring to the Jews as a people and as a nation, not as individuals. In order to be forgiven of personal sin, an individual Jew must still accept Jesus as Savior like everybody else. Peter said this quite clearly to his fellow Jews when they asked what they must do. Acts chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other 
other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So as you can see, the call here for individual repentance and personal responsibility is obvious. He did not say, yeah, you blew it with Jesus, but because you're Abraham's kids, you get a break. Just relax and enjoy the ride. Everything's all taken care of, boobala. No, on the contrary, specific action was required for every single person listening. Some Jews will accept Christ, others will deny him and be banished from heaven, but Israel as a nation will survive. That's the point of the Abrahamic covenant. Israel as a nation will survive. This concept can be likened to World War II. America won the war with Germany and Japan, and for this reason it was fair to describe the outcome by saying that Americans survived the war. Meaning, of course, that America as a nation came out victorious. Sadly, many individual American soldiers still perished and were not around celebrating when the hostilities ceased. Likewise, the entire nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt, but not every individual Hebrew entered the promised land. In fact, very few entered. Because of all the whining and complaining, God had them wander the desert for 40 years. With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the entire generation which left Egypt died out, the entire adult generation. Only their children entered the land of milk and honey. Even Moses failed to enter the land. But we still say that Israel, as a nation, was rescued by God from Egypt and took up residence in Canaan. Now, catch this. The unconditional deliverance of Israel is only part of the Abrahamic covenant. The other part is found when God says, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's from Genesis chapter 22. Abraham's descendants will survive, and through these people, the Messiah will come on the horizon. As a result, Gentiles will have a chance to imitate the faith of Abraham and partake of Israel's blessings. Paul expounded upon this idea in Galatians, even to the point of describing the Abrahamic covenant as the new covenant arriving ahead of time as kind of a sneak preview. Galatians chapter 3, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. In Romans, Paul offers a very helpful illustration. He compares Israel to a tree. The tree itself is going to be saved, but individual branches may be cut off if they do not grow properly. Growth or lack thereof is used as an allegory for obedience or disobedience. After a natural branch, a Jew, is removed, wild branches from other trees, Gentiles, can be grafted in and actually become a part of this tree, and the tree itself is Israel. As if anticipating all of the misunderstanding that is about to happen over the years, Paul warns the Gentiles not to read too much into their status as grafted in branches. He begins the discussion by reminding them that contrary to what some might think, God is not done with Israel. And this settles the whole question right here. Is God done with Israel? That's what we've been discussing these past couple of days. Is God done with Israel? Romans chapter 11, Paul says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. Ladies and gentlemen, that could not possibly be more 
clear, but catch Paul's elaboration. Although the tree itself, Israel, the tree, although the tree itself is secure, God will treat disobedient branches the same, both Jewish and Gentile branches. Continuing in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own tree? Now, even though Israel at the moment is being unconditionally spared, Israel as a nation will someday repent and accept her Messiah. Paul continues to talk about that in Romans chapter 11. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until till the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Just so you know, that is not merely a New Testament idea. It was predicted many years before by the prophet Zechariah. When the Messiah returns, the Jews will notice his marks of crucifixion, realizing that he had already come once before and that they had rejected him, it will be quite the emotional moment. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and will grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. No, my friends, God is not done with Israel. But some of you are thinking, hey, Bob, aren't the Jews under a curse for killing Christ? In fact, didn't they call that curse down upon themselves right before Jesus went to the cross? That's an interesting question, my friend, and we will discuss that next time when we conclude this series on the errors of replacement theology. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.